Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So a few breaking stories here at the outset of the hour. Um, After I asked the question, where in the word are you today? Listener Lori texted in at the end of the first hour. Uh, I just read 1 John 3 this morning. Commend it uh, to everyone listening. God's encouragement that our citizen is ultimately in his kingdom and we're just passing through here. Thank you, Lori, for that good reminder. Um, Where in the word are you today? As we turn our attention to the world that God so loves. We have been talking talking in recent weeks about the uh, hostilities, the war uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan in the Nagorno-Karabakh region of Azerbaijan. I know, these are fun words to try to say this early in the morning. Let me just say this. Armenian uh, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinov uh, actually surprised the world last night by announcing an agreement, not only to a ceasefire, but a negotiated end to the dispute uh, in this particular region. So um, here's a portion of what he said. He said the terms of the peace agreement were, quote, unbelievably painful for me personally and for our people. Um, that's because the agreement includes um, not only the deployment of some 2,000 Russian peacekeepers, but these territorial concessions by Armenia to Azerbaijan. And so this is a region of Azerbaijan that has been under the control of ethnic Armenians since like 1994, when a truce ended a separatist war um, in this part of the world. And so clashes have been going on really since then. Uh, You will remember we've talked about some very full-scale fighting that's been going on since September. And so I just want us to be praying today, not only for the end of open warfare and the preservation of life, but for the deep week, the deep work of peace that we know must now happen between these people who are going to physically live as neighbors. They're going to physically live in, um, you know, in close physical proximity to one another. Um, But they have been at war now for many decades. And so let's be, let's be praying um, for real peace. Uh, speaking of long histories of hostility, there is a name that you probably don't know, Saib Arakat. Uh, he is a top Palestinian leader. He died of COVID in Jerusalem. The reason this matters is because um, Arakat, uh, American educated, he's been involved in nearly every round of peace negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians going back to the Madrid conference in 1991. Um, and so we want to uh, just be mindful that some of the people that have been involved in the conversations about peace in the Middle East, particularly between the Palestinians and the Israelis, like not only are they growing old, um, some of them, you know, obviously are no longer with us. So just uh, that might be an interesting unfolding conversation. Global stocks have been surging on the announcement that Pfizer has a vaccine uh, with a 90 percent effective rate. We also heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, that Moderna is preparing to make a similar announcement. And so, you know, the, the conversation is, hey, by spring of 2021, 
Um, most Americans, or at least many Americans, will have access to a vaccine. Um, and so I'm going to actually lead off my conversation with uh, Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association on this topic. What does it look like um, for vaccines to be coming online? How many people um, are likely to be vaccinated? And as Christians, um, let's talk a little bit about where these vaccine lines have come from. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Jeff Barrows is here from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find uh, them at cmda.org. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you again. It's good to have you. So, um, you know, there's a lot people breathing really, you know, deep sigh of relief. Maybe it looks like there's hope on the horizon in terms of maybe more than one uh, effective vaccine against COVID-19. Um, Pfizer CEO actually said in a in an interview yesterday, it's just a great relief. I've got goosebumps and tears in my eyes. Um, I was nervous because if we're not successful, then the world is going to continue to lose hope. I feel this great weight on my shoulders. He's talking there about, um, you know, an, an ethical concern, the burden of responsibility to produce an effective vaccine. But I want to have a different um, maybe ethical conversation with you because most of us don't know how these uh, vaccines have been derived. Yes, and unfortunately, uh, right now there are four different vaccines that are leading uh, in the Operation Warp Speed, and Pfizer is one of them. But unfortunately, all four of the leaders have used uh, fetal cell lines derived from abortions many decades ago in different parts of the development of the vaccine. And so this includes Pfizer. So the worst, in our view, at Christian Medical Dental Association is, is exemplified by, for instance, the AstraZeneca uh, uh, vaccine along with uh, the Johnson & Johnson or Janssen vaccine. They have used fetal cell lines uh, to uh, study and to initially develop, but even worse, in the, when they finally get their vaccine approved, and its safety is shown, they will be using fetal cells to uh, ongoingly produce that vaccine. So in terms of the production of millions and possibly billions of vials of vaccine, fetal cells will be used. This is a little different than what Pfizer and Moderna are doing, uh, and it's uh, less ethically problematic in our view. Uh, both Pfizer and Moderna, which have similar vaccines using a, a mRNA, they used fetal cell lines to confirm that their RNA was producing the right protein and that their vaccine would then be be the way they had planned it to be. So they are not going to use fetal cells to produce the vaccine on an ongoing basis. So again, in terms of our view at the Christian Medical Dental Association, the worst ethically uh, vaccines out there are those that will be using fetal cells on an ongoing basis to produce the vaccine versus the, the one-step confirmation that Pfizer and Moderna have used. 
When we talk about these fetal cell lines um, derived from abortions many years ago, for people who haven't been paying attention that long or have slept since then, can you remind us what we're talking about? Yeah, um, there's actually two cell lines that we're looking at. One is uh, from uh, an, an abortion back in 1972. It was performed in uh, England. And what the researchers did is they then took the fresh, and I don't want to get too gross, but fresh kidney tissue uh, from that abortion and created a, a line of cells that is ongoing. In other words, they have cells that are continuing to live in the lab. If they were to take cells from our body, they wouldn't live very long. And so that's why there seems to be this, this inclination to use fetal cells for this. And they use the cells to, to manufacture a virus or to, in the case of Moderna and Pfizer, to, to actually manufacture the protein. They actually inject uh, the cells with their mRNA and see what protein is used. So that's one fetal cell line. The second one is actually owned by Johnson & Johnson, and that is from an abortion mm. in 1985. And they are, of course, using that fetal cell line. They have uh, uh, trademarked it, and it, they are going to use it in the ongoing production. So both of these abortions were single abortions many decades ago. And for that reason, even though we at CMDA would far prefer a vaccine that is ethically pure and has absolutely no association with abortion at all, and that's what we're advocating for in many different ways, uh, if in fact the only vaccine that comes out and is uh, found to be safe and efficacious is one associated with one of these uh, abortions, we would still advocate that people take it. Let's talk about um, let's talk about that for just a second. Pfizer says it's going to have 50 million doses available for distribution globally by the end of this year. 1.3 uh, billion doses by the end of next year. I'm trying to highlight the timeline here. Each mm -hmm. patient patient would require two doses. This um, you know this leads us to do some math, right? So 330 million Americans, we would theoretically need 660 million doses. Not everybody's going to be vaccinated. So I don't know, figure an 80 percent vaccination rate. That's still 528 million people or, or a million doses. Um, and America's not the only one with a contract with uh, Pfizer and Moderna and others to, you know, to get these vaccines. Um, the ethical conversation that I think we have to have is the access question for the rest of the world. You know, it's one thing for first world nations to um, to have access by the spring or even the summer of 2021, the rest of the world is going to have to wait. Just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a very good question. And there are a couple of projects that are looking at that, uh, and and they are looking at it from two different directions. One is, is trying to get the companies, and it isn't just companies in the United States. I, I should make your listeners aware there are several companies in China that are developing vaccines. There are other European companies. In fact, I think total around the world, there are 180-some different vaccine companies that are working hard to get a vaccine out there. 
there. But when you look at the the question, the ethical question of access to this worldwide, one group is trying to say to uh, these companies that they ought to provide the vaccine to every single uh, country, uh, giving them at least uh, a tw- an, an ability to vaccinate 20% of their population. Uh, whereas another different approach is to begin looking at the various infection rates in various countries and trying to get uh, the vaccine in an equitable manner to all different countries, especially those that are having significant problems with COVID infection right now that also have very little um, medical uh, foundations and uh, medical hospitals that can really take care of these patients. So there are projects that are ongoing looking at that. And we in the United States have also tried to address that question of how we would disseminate uh, a vaccine out to our our people, knowing that there's going to be a limited number available, especially at first. All right, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, uh, Jeff Barrows and I uh, are going to continue our conversations. We're going to pivot to a conversation about a potential uh, Alzheimer treatment. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can check them out at cmda.org. My favorite section of the website are all the position papers, just really, really well thought out. Excuse me, an education for those of us who are non-medical people um, and a great association for those of you who are uh, medical professionals. Um, Jeff, talk with us about, um, uh, first of all, talk with us a little bit about Alzheimer's um, and then a potential vaccine for Alzheimer's? This sounds pretty exciting. It is really exciting, though it's in the early stages. But uh, Alzheimer's disease is such a horrific disease, and it's increasing in in its prevalence because people are living longer, they're getting cured and treatments from cancer and heart disease. And so it typically affects about 6% of us who are 65 or older and of course, a lot of people are aware of the subtle symptoms of of loss of memory, and then there's loss of motivation and apathy. And so that means really about uh, 30 million people worldwide are affected by Alzheimer's and about 13 million here in the United States. So it's it's a terrible disease. And, and the baseline of what happens in Alzheimer's is there is a buildup of a protein called beta amyloid uh, that is around the neurons in the brain. And we do not to this day know why that happens, but this protein just begins building up and it it interferes with the nerve cells in their ability to transmit the neural signals to one another. And that's how we get the symptoms of Alzheimer's. And what this vaccine is doing is trying to to attack that protein and get rid of it. All right. So um, assure us that this is a vaccine that's being developed in an ethically uh, appropriate way. Because like, right, I think that now that we've had the vaccine development conversation, now we're all going to start asking, well, how is this vaccine being developed? Well, this vaccine has only been used in the mouse model so far. And I think it, the two the two 
uh, conversations relate because it, it really is important for us as Christians to advocate with these companies and make known to them that we are absolutely opposed to any use of a fetal cell line in the development of a vaccine because there are other cell lines now that can be used. And so even though this one has not yet progressed to the point where it might begin to use fetal cells, they're at a stage where uh, hopefully they're hearing the conversation, they're hearing our advocacy against this, and we'll be making plans that as they advance from the mouse model into human models in the next several years, that they will begin to think and say, hey, we need to avoid using these fetal cell lines and use the alternatives instead. All right, so this is one we're going to watch. Um, the findings appear in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. This is um, for my family, uh, where Alzheimer's has taken my paternal grandmother, two aunts on on my dad's side of the family, and a cousin who was actually just a couple of years older than me had early onset Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and um, and died. You know, actually just a couple of years after his diagnosis. Like, right? It's um, it's uh. It's scary to families that have encountered this. And so this is really good news in terms of just the progress being made, um, not only for those directly affected, but just the ways in which we are indirectly affected by just the incredible number of people in our culture who suffer with this. So thanks for this good news today. All right, Jeff, I'd love for you you to talk a little bit with folks about, um, um, because we've talked now some about research that's based on fetal lines. There's a proposition in California, California Proposition 14 on stem cell research. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, stem cell research hasn't been in the news uh, for quite a while. And uh, just for your listeners not familiar with stem cells, stem cells are primitive cells that are found in various locations in our body. Uh, And the advantage of them is they are what we call undifferentiated. They haven't begun the, the line of differentiating into, for instance, a muscle cell or a nerve cell or a skin cell. And so because of that, they have a great deal of healing properties. They can heal diseased tissue. They can heal damaged tissue. And so we've been very excited about stem cells for the past 20, 25 years or so. But unfortunately, there are also stem cells that are found in embryos. And initially, uh, researchers were more excited and more interested in working with embryonic stem cells because they felt that they, since they were more primitive even than what can be found in our bodies as adults, they thought they would have a greater potential for healing. And so there was a, a, um, a proposition back in 2004 that was passed by the state of California that created the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, and they gave uh, $3 billion to this institute back in 2004 to begin doing this research. Now, the interesting thing is that that beginning uh, back in 2004, most of the researchers were focused on embryonic stem cells, but over time they realized that the embryonic stem cells were not behaving in the way they had hoped, and they were actually getting more success, more diseases that were being helped with adult stem cells, stem cells. And so now when this proposition was just recently approved in California to give them an additional $5.5 billion, most of their research now is going to go to help in research 
with adult stem cells, not embryonic. And it's almost as if the Lord has, is in his creation has said, I'm not going to allow you to use these stem cells in, in the way you want. It's going to be through adult stem cells. So I find that interesting. Very interesting. Um, Dr. Dr. Jeff Barrows, thank you so much for joining us today. I want you guys to check out what is happening at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. Jeff, as always, thanks so much. My pleasure, Carmen. Good to be with you. Thank you. Have a great day. Friends, we'll be right back. It is Tasty Tuesday! All right, it's Taste and See Tuesday. Right, we have not done a Tasty Tuesday or a Taste and See Tuesday segment for a long time. I was hungry for it. So, we are bringing back today... Brother Andrew Corriente. You will remember him as the guy that won the big baking competition. Um, he is a friar in formation at Capuchin College. Probably mispronouncing that. Um, and he has talked with us before. He's a delight. He's a joy. Um, and I'm inviting him back because we got to get ready for some holiday cooking and some holiday baking. And so next up, Brother Andrew Corriente. Ha <laughs> ha. Tasty Tuesday. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Romans 6 and verse 5 says, We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you believe this promise? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Jesus' question to Martha is his question to you. You see, death is the great equalizer. What do the billionaire and the peasant have in common? Both will die. We all will, but not all will face death in the same manner. Let the story of the resurrected Lazarus remind you, Jesus' authority extends over even the cemetery. Do you believe this? The question is personal. What's more, it's precise. Do you believe this? This claim that Christ makes about his deity and about your destiny. Jesus is Lord over the cemetery. His voice can empty a grave, and you are designed for a Lazarus moment. Do you believe this? Remember, my friend, you are never alone. Joining me now, Brother Andrew Corriente. I just love to talk with him on Taste and See Tuesday. So, Brother Andrew, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Carmen. It's good to be back. All right. For people who don't know, you can watch uh, Brother Andrew um, on YouTube. He's This Friar Bakes. This Friar Bakes. Those are the videos you would look for on YouTube. Um, so I have a I have a couple of listener questions already. And let me just say, oh. if you're listening right now okay. and you've got a question for Brother Andrew, you can just text me at 877-933-2484. All right, so a question here from Michelle. She lives up north, and she does not have a good sweet potato pie recipe. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michelle, neither do I. <laughs> but you actually, you know, actually, so um, um, when it comes to recipes, Michelle, I think the best thing to do is obviously um, uh, the Internet. And so the thing that I always tell people when they're looking for a good quality recipe, look at the reviews. Mm. If 
if it's like 500 plus reviews with four and a half stars, I think it's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> but there you if, go. It's like, if it's like a blogger online and there's no ratings, but the pictures look pretty, mm. that's when I get nervous um, because pictures can be altered and they may not be including steps that you really know. So my, my favorite publications are um, things like King Arthur Flower as mm. well as uh, they, they're great. Um, they test the recipes constantly. The New York Times tests the recipes constantly, as does uh, Food Network and um, Serious Eats as well, too. Um, oh, and Cook's Illustrated. I'm sorry. I look at so many recipes. So okay, <laughs> no, so that's so helpful. I love that. Yeah. See, that's, now you're giving yeah. us your the inside scoop. So it's not like, you know, you are just um, waiting for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to deliver into your mind <laughs> ideas about a sweet potato pie recipe. You are actually uh, sourcing this with people who have thought about it and tried things out and tested them. These are tested and approved. I love that. What are you cooking? What are you cooking like right now? And what are you cooking for the holidays? Oh, t- tonight, right now, I need to make a spice cake for a birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I love so that. I, oh, the last time we talked to you, you were making a birthday cake. I'm always making birthday cakes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm making. Um, so I, I people know me in the Catholic community here in D.C., so they asked me for birthday cakes, for apple pies, um, for cookies, for the celebrations. So I have a, a list of orders, but I also do a lot of charity work too. So I'm making um, certain things for them as well. So uh, this week I'm booked with um, a birthday cake and a donation to a women's shelter. So that's what I'll that. be doing. That's what we'll be working on between um, classes. Um, but, you know, like when it comes to recipe development, Carmen, um, it's a mixture of both like inspiration from the Holy Spirit, but also a lot of research, you know? So like And like uh, chemistry. Yes. Amen. Seriously, do not do not forget that. Like baking actually requires measuring. So for those of us that are more like, oh throw this in, throw this in, throw this in. That looks good. Um we're not our our baking efforts are not great. (laughs) You know like I know it's that's what I tell people too is like I know it's a pain to sit there and measure carefully. But you'll be so happy you did at the end of the day. You know, you really will because it'll work, especially if it's a tested recipe. Um, And I always encourage people to measure by weight to get a digital Mm -hmm. scale. Um, I just checked on Amazon. I saw a scale for like $11.99. And they're, they're quite affordable these days now, too. And my results have been more consistent now, Carmen. Um, okay, so so, yeah. so here you need to develop like a little blog post. I don't know if you do blogs, but or something. <laughs> that when we talk about stuff. Yeah, right measuring ahead. measuring by weight, right? Like I feel like yeah. there's a glory conversation to have there. Like right, the weight <laughs> of God's glory and being measured by weight. Like that's good. Amen. I like that. Amen. I like that. Amen. And it's more precise too. You know, so God gets get a gets a better feel for your holiness by weight. <laughs> right? I want my I want my I want my relationship with God to have some gravitas, to have some well, weight to it, to be substantial. Amen. And also like with the precision, you know, with us in the in the moral life Carmen, like we have to be we have to be unflinching. We have to be precise in our moral decisions, right? So why and then that also translates to baking too. You know? I love that. Yeah. I feel like yeah. glory and precision conversation is uh, is going to be had. Okay, so I am talking with Brother Andrew Corriente. We are we are talking on this Tasty Tuesday um, about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. 
I want to have a conversation about holidays. Um, okay. A lot of people do, they've sort of missed the the whole idea that holy is a part of holiday. Like it's a holy mm-hmm. day. It's a day that is set apart. I feel like you're helping people sort of reclaim the reality of every holy day because it sounds like you are, you, you're thinking that celebration needs to be happening all the time. Um, talk with us about holiness, holy days, what it means to be set apart. Yeah. Oh, preach, Carmen. You're like reading from my journal or something. I, I did I read know. your journal, and that's um, that's up next. Uh-huh. It's seriously in there. So, you, so holiness. So, holiness is what you said. It's set apart for God. So, in a way, um, we condition ourselves through um, our certain moral practices, our certain disciplines, in order to make ourselves more approachable. Uh, to God, and so that we, in a way, condition ourselves to Him. So, sort of like, you know how people are so intense about exercise routines and diets, and they're like a million different diets and a million different exercise routines. They're disciplining their bodies, right, in order mm-hmm. to get a result that they want. For us as Christians, we disciplined our minds, our hearts, um, in or in our actions, obviously, to condition ourselves to be closer to God. And so we adopt these certain practices too. And so when we set aside um, these days for holiness and to set aside far from God, it's in a way we're giving back and we're recognizing who we are and we belong to God. You know, on the seventh day was made for the Sabbath, right? And that is so crucial because that seventh day you're supposed to rest. You're supposed to celebrate that you belong to someone and you belong to God. Um, and to set aside celebrations and holy days for that is just another reminder of the beauty that we are as creatures of, of God. I just love it. Brother Andrew Corriente and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Check out his videos at This Friar Bakes on YouTube. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Brother Andrew Corriente. You can find him on Instagram at This Friar Bakes. And so the next questions are going to come in relationship to his Instagram account, This Friar Bakes. Um, I now follow you on Instagram. Um, and on here, you talk about prayer, you talk about serving the poor. Um, baking and cooking with what's around that that might be a fun exercise like open the cupboard door and make something mm. but let me say what i'm what is happening to me right now as i'm looking at your instagram account i am reminded that we eat with our eyes <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> talk about talk mm. about making the gospel beautiful it's one thing to feed mm. to feed people right? And to feasting on the word and feasting on really good food. It's one thing for it to taste good and be nourishing. It's another Mm -hmm. thing for the gospel to be made so beautiful in the world that people are attracted to it. Amen. Amen. Um, Yeah. So obviously what we believe is truth, right, Carmen? And Mm -hmm. that truth could help change people's lives and stuff like that too. It's not necessarily like just quoting the Bible, you know, just like going into someone's face and quoting the Bible sort of thing. In a way, making things beautiful, um, how St. Francis used to do it, is through action. Through action by 
you're living out the gospel. They say that St. Francis's life was a prayer. So everything he did was was saturated with gospel values. So serving the poor, being patient amidst conflict, um, persevering amidst like persecution, and always like turning the other cheek. And so with those concrete actions, he was living out the gospel. And it's from there that people saw the beauty and the authenticity of his life because he's a man who practices what he preached, right? And mm-hmm. so with that, um, from that point, he was able to talk to people to explain how the gospel has changed his life and how he lives that out. He There's, there's stories of him talking in town squares and people are just like, who's this crazy person talking, right? <laughs> but then because there was so much... Um, authenticity, and you could tell that the gospel values really integrated into his life. Like, you know, like, Carmen, like, when someone's speaking, like, from their heart, and it's real true, like, it's, it's intoxicating. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think for us to make the gospel look beautiful, um, first, it has to be integrated into our heart, we have to reflect Mm -hmm. on it and to see, okay, how am I honestly living this? Am I really doing enough? Am I really um, trying hard or am I fooling myself? So the way we make the gospel look beautiful is for us to really have a better relationship with it. And that way people will see how beautiful it is. Yeah, there's this there's this authentic faith and people, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people know, I don't know if you've ever like had a pastry that didn't taste like anything. <laughs> and you're like. Times. Okay. Or, or my conversation that I like to have from time to time, like people don't want a bunch of of half-baked Christians. Like that's not good. Like that is not helping people savor the savior. That is not good. So um, if we're going to, you know, make Christ known in the breaking of the bread, the bread needs to be able to be broken. Like, right. It's got to be fully baked. Your faith has to be fully baked. And that's what you're talking about. This honestly integrated, authentic faith. Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen, Carmen. You again, you're reading pages from my diary. <laughs> it's crazy. You didn't know those were published, did you? Yeah, yeah right. So, Apparently. It's a oh thing. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's that's the thing about it too. It's like um with 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 pastries that don't taste like anything, they're so beautiful sometimes, right, Carmen? But mm-hmm. then I remember my sister bought me this pastry and it looked it was inspired by a painting of Van Gogh and it looked impeccable. I was in awe. I was, it was breathtaking. And I ate it and it tasted like jello. You know, mm. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, mm. I'm so, like, like I, I, I mean, nothing wrong with jello, obviously, but like you're no, expecting but... like, a little bit, right? You're expecting a little yeah. bit more, right, from it. And it's so interesting because um, I think this is also what they taught me on the Great American Baking Show is like, you could have style, but you don't have substance. And that's the same thing with our faith, too. Sometimes we could say um, and do things that look like, you know, we're, we're practicing our faith, but internally, and this is what Jesus teaches us, our hearts are not with him, you know? And that's, the, that's what's frustrating um, about the faith journey is that there are many, there are many Christians who sometimes we um, just do the right things and say the right things, but are we actually integrating those values again, that authenticity like we talked about, you know? Yeah, style without substance is not sustenance. Like that's true in baking. That's also, you know, true in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Let's um let's uh talk about um 
fellowship. Because one of the things that's unique about the life that you are called to and the life that you um, are in as a, you're still a friar in training, yes? Yes, correct. Well, I'm actually um, a fully professed friar. Um, You could call me a priest in training right now. Okay. So Mm -hmm. there's a a process and it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. And so you're now a priest in training. Um, and um, there's a fellowship that you are in that is different than many people have or will ever experience. And yet the body of Christ is supposed to be a family where we are all adopted as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we experience this familial fellowship mm-hmm. Um in ways that we may or may not have experienced in our families of origin and in ways that may or may not be true living in a household of people who are not all Christians, right? So talk with me about the fellowship you experience with um, with other Christians. Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> there's this, um, this beautiful lot in our constitutions is that our our brothers um, strive for unity, not uniformity. So it's in that sense, it means that we're all very different people. We all have different cultures. We have different backgrounds. We have different interests. Um, and But the thing is, we are all united to build the kingdom of God. We all share the same value and the mission for that as- in that respect, right? And so for myself, I find it, I find it helps me um, build relationships better because the thing is like, despite our differences, despite our frustrations with each other, and we could still find that common interest, that common goal. We all love God and we all love what we're doing in our lives of bringing peace, justice, and charity out to the world, right? And so with that, I think it teaches me a sense of like uh, a deeper sense of connection with people, you know, Carmen, like, so Mm -hmm. it'd be like uh, my friends, my secular friends uh, who aren't faith, who aren't Christian or, or have any religion. I get, there's a certain energy we have and we bond really well. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say we have the same values, um, Mm -hmm. but there's a certain chemistry with that too. You don't necessarily have that with your fellow Christian brother or sister in terms of that connection, that energy, right? Mm-hmm. That draw to it. Yet at the same time, you learn how to, in a way, furnish that in a different respect in the light of Christ. And so what manifests is this beautiful, different kind of love. The love I have for my friends is this like easy, like I love that, like, it's like it's like getting along with someone really well, but this Christian love, it it's I don't know how to describe it. It's something different. Um, mm-hmm. but beautiful in its own right. And it's like no matter like the times when you drive me crazy or the times when we like have the best time ever, um, like I I love you, you know? And I think it's because of that that faith bond that we have. This Friar Bakes on Instagram, also videos on YouTube, Brother Andrew Corriente, um, Capuchin, Franciscan Friar, yes? Mm-hmm, Capuchin, All the right, yes. <laughs> Capuchin, see, yeah. I knew I was saying it wrong. It's okay, Say- everyone does, Carmen, don't worry. Ca- 
Capuchin. Yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost like cappuccino. Capuchin Francisco you know, that's Friar. Where the name came from. <gasps> really? Okay, next time. <laughs> next time can we talk about the coffee that goes with the baking? <laughs> Maybe. I love All right. coffee. Follow him on Instagram and scroll down to this Apple thing and make me one of those. That is the uh, (laughs) command to my listening audience today. Andrew, what a delight. What a delight. Um, We just we love what you're doing. We love who you are, the spirit in which you're doing it. Keep keep baking. Keep bringing us the gospel in all of its beauty and truth and its nourishment and goodness gracious, its tastiness. Amen, Carmen. Thank you very much for having me, and God bless you. Take care. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, friends, we will be right back to close up the show. My mouth is salivating. I'll be right back. All right, I'm scrolling through... this Friar Bakes Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram as well. I now follow him. It's fun out here on social media. Come and join us. The water is fine. Um, hey, help somebody else taste and see that the Lord is good today. Make Christ known in the breaking of the bread. Savor the Savior. It is Taste and See Tuesday. So let us get out there and, wow, let's, let's help others um, develop an appetite for the goodness of of the Lord and make it beautiful, like, right? Make it winsome. Goodness, beauty, and truth. Uh, these transcendental realities of who God is, these transcendental virtues. Um, let's go make them express in the world that God so loves. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can share today's show. The Faith Radio app is fully redesigned and let's use it to uh, become radio missionaries to others. Have a great day. God- Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.